Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and in this um, section of Scripture, we are being called by the Apostle Paul to seek unity and maturity together as the people of God. Unity and maturity go hand in hand. In fact, um, as we pursue unity, we'll discover we need maturity. And as we grow in maturity, we'll discover we need more unity as it happens. This week I was meeting with a couple who don't attend Waterbrook, and, uh, Waterbrook, and as I was um, talking with them, uh, she said to me, what would you say to someone who is a Christian but wonders, why do I have to go to church? Uh, if, uh, if you're a Christian, why do you have to go to church? And I answered, uh, this is paraphrasing in some way, I said, the reason why you go to church is the church is Jesus' main project. It is his main project. He came to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. You cannot know Jesus outside the way he wants you to know him outside of the body of Christ. You cannot grow to become like Jesus outside of the body of Christ. Of Christ, and you cannot show Jesus to the world around you apart from the body of Christ. That's God's plan, that you might know him in community, that you might grow in him by being in community and show him. In fact, here's the reality that Paul is teaching, especially in this section that we're now in. The church will be an opportunity for growth for you. Uh, it'll be an opportunity for you to encounter God and realize where you are not conformed to Christ. The church is an opportunity for you to become increasingly like Jesus. Unity and maturity, listen to this, unity and maturity happen when we realize the often slow and intermittent progress of other Christians in their faith is God's way of providing us an opportunity, each of us, to grow in our likeness to Jesus Christ. You know, you think in your head, why does that person grow up quicker? Why isn't that person what I think that that person should be when I think they should be this way? Here's what Paul's teaching in Ephesians. Your progress and growth is necessary for my progress and growth. Your slow progress in your growth is necessary for my very slow progress in growth to be changed. Understand what's being taught in this text? Maturity happens in community. Maturity is where you discover not what you think you need, but what God thinks you need and how you and I need to grow together. So the question I'm asking this morning as we're praying for Waterbrook, as we're praying over Ephesians 4, the question I'm asking for you and for myself is how do I grow as a Christian? That's what Paul's saying here. How do we grow up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ? And this text is really helpful. And Paul's going to go on beyond this text. We'll spend a little bit of time on it. But here's the first thing that Paul teaches. Step one, uh, Paul calls us in this passage of Scripture to reject the way that you used to react to sin in the lives of other people. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. And I want to just pause there and say this. If Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, he's making a distinction. He's saying, this isn't just me speaking. This is the Lord speaking. 
This isn't my message for you. This is the Lord's. He's making it a very serious statement. This is what God says to you in verse 17. You must no longer. See that word no longer? Why is that word phrase no longer there? Because you did once live this way, right? You no longer walk as the, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. And so here's what we're being taught. The opportunity in the church to rub shoulders and mature together as God is working through the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit is for you and I to lose those innate natural tendencies that we have had since we were not Christians. I I just need to tell you this as a believer, regularly in your life, interacting with other people, your old self will show up. It's so much a part of your life. Your old man will appear. I'm not the only one, right? That old train of thought, those old arguments that come in your head, those old, I'm going to solve this in my power and my way, that, all that stuff comes up. It's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to put his finger upon you and say, this is where you grow. This is where you need me. This is where your growth needs. So the church is a great place to learn to lose those deeply ingrained worldly ways of thinking about responding to the weakness and, sin, and sins of others. Uh, those of you who have read Paul Tripp, kind of in everything Paul Tripp teaches, whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting, he'll always come back to this point that the sins of others and the struggles of others are not inconveniences. Listen to what he writes. This is about parenting, but it applies universally to our lives. He says, the reality is that if your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin, the weakness, rebellion, or failure of your children, it's never an imposition. So parents, you need to stop and think about that. It's never an interruption. It's never a hassle. It's always grace. God loves your children. He's put them in a family of faith and in relentless grace he will reveal their need to you again and again so that you can be a tool of his awareness, conviction, repentance, faith, and change. And because in these moments he asks you to forsake your agenda for his, this opportunity of grace isn't just for your children, it's for you as well. That's what Paul's writing in Ephesians. He's writing the sins of one another are opportunities to face the sins of ourselves, to offer not just grace for others, but to face the need of grace that we ought to have in our lives. And so in Ephesians 4, he says, I don't want you to do what the Gentiles are doing any longer, any longer. So he says, just look at where it leads the unbelieving world. Look at the progress if it's left unchecked. What happens? Um, For those of you who watched the Super Bowl last year, I apologize to those of you who don't care, but who watched the Super Bowl last week will remember a very pointed moment in the game during the Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs almost made it to to a touchdown, got to to the end zone, and as they got it, they dropped the football and fumbled. And as the fumble happened, the cameras looked to the bench, and there was... Taylor Swift's boyfriend, uh, Travis Kelchi, in the face of dear old artificial hip to replace Andy Reid. 
and he's yelling at Andy Reid such that Andy Reid almost falls over. And it was not a good scene. In fact, a couple of nights later, Travis Kelce and his brother Jason on their podcast were talking, and his brother said to him, you went too far. And Travis Kelce said, yes, I did. I went too far. But after the game, they interviewed, they won the Super Bowl. And after the game, they talked to Andy Reid, and good old Andy Reid says, I love these guys. I love their zeal. I love their desire to win. And you know, even if they're really doing the wrong thing, I'm glad they're that into the game. This passage of Scripture says that's not how Christians work. Because if you let unchecked that go on, it doesn't stay there. It degenerates. It gets worse. And he says, so do not do what the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Because they think that they can just go on and there's no consequences. But we know there's a God. Says in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there's any who understand, any who seek after God. They've all turned aside. They become corrupt. There's none that does good, not one. That's a pretty indicting statement of the world. Paul in Romans says that's true of all of us without Jesus Christ. It's not to be that way anymore. So in this passage of Scripture, here's the Lord leading us to be a new creation, the first fruits, Adam in in the Garden of Eden, led us out through his sin. Jesus, the new Adam, is making us new and leading us back into a new, leading us into a new created realm, and we are to live differently than we ever lived before. And so I want you to see here what he means by futility. They do this in the futility of their minds. Futility carries this notion that what they're trying to do will never come to fruition. That they're trying to solve it in their own strength. They're trying to make it better. They're trying to do all those things Isaiah 55, we said a couple times, says we long for. They're trying to do it without God. My dear friends, you can't. It gets worse. And so listen to... Uh, what he's warning about. Here's what futility means. Futility means, if you go that way, you're trapped in moral darkness. If you listen to the text, listen to his description. Don't be like the Gentiles. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. That's what sin does. It cuts you off from God, and God is light. In him, there is no darkness. We lose our reference point We think we can find our way and solve our own solutions and make a better world. How are we doing, folks? He's saying, don't do that in the darkness of their understanding. The light has gone out. They don't have understanding. They're they're wise in their own eyes. They're articulate. They can maybe out-argue you and and out-debate you, but darkness is all over their understanding. Not only do they have no light from God because they don't have his truth, they have no life from God. And you and I need to hear this. It says they are alienated from the life of God. There is no possible way for anyone to change without the life of God. Only God's life enables you to change the way you live. 
Only God's life in you can make you walk the way God created and redeemed you to live. You can try with all your energy, but you do not have the power to break sin, and you are not greater than the forces of evil. We need, Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was devoutly religious, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The best church-going, law-abiding human being cannot fix his own heart. He needs a savior. He needs life. And where's that life found? Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. In him is eternal life. Without that life, my dear friends, we're left in a futile pursuit of a changed world and a changed life. Don't do that anymore, Paul says. You can no longer live for God without God than you can live on a planet without, other than earth without any oxygen. You ever see anybody on the, uh, out in space, on the, what do you call it, the, play, the space station, International Space Station? How many of them say, I'm going to go outside and work for a while, but I'm not going to take any oxygen? How long does that last? But people say all the time, I'm going to go make the world a better place, but I don't need God. You can't make the world a better place. You can't make your heart a better place. There's no power within us. That life comes from God. No life from God and this is, this is the real indictment, no love for God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. There's a scene early in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus heals someone and as, as, as he's going to heal someone the Pharisees are looking at him to see if he'll heal them on the Sabbath. Listen to how Mark uh, records this. It says, Jesus looked around at them with anger grieved at the hardness of their heart. Because they said, is he going to heal them? On the, on the Sabbath day, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched out his, man, his hand, and his hand was, was healed. It says destroyed here, that's a typo, that's a big typo. <laughs> he was healed. You see, see what, what happens to us? That without the life of God, without the love of God, without the light of God, we don't get better, we can never get better. And he says, don't live without God, don't take it into your own hands, that old life's got to stop. That's futility. Now, if that was all he said, that would be enough. But he says, it's not only that you don't have the power to escape the snare and the lie of sin, but you go in a downward spiral from there. Futility is spiraling downward into moral depravity and ultimately eternal calamity. Let me ask you this question. Are you spiraling out of control? If you are, you know what I mean. It's what addictions do. You spiral out of control. In in airplane, in the airplane, in the plane world, um, there's a thing called a, a grave or a graveyard spiral. You know what it is? You're out on a day just like today, beautiful day. And you're flying, but the sky is so blue and there's nothing on the horizon, you begin to lose a sense of being level. And your wings just tilt a bit. You think you're still flying straight because it's all the same. It all looks the same in front of you. Happens often when the water and the sky are all blue and reflect and you lose the horizon line. It's tilted, right? And so your plane begins to tilt and as it tilts, it 
gradually begins to spiral downward. And at some point in time, the pilot begins to realize on his altimeter that he's losing altitude. So what does he do? He takes the controls and pulls up. But if you're already tilted and you think you're level and you pull up, you tighten the circle like water going down the drain and you end up crashing into the sea. They think that's what happened to John F. Kennedy Jr. Flew out over the ocean, lost his orientation, pulled back. What, Jesus, what Paul says in this text of Scripture is be very careful because if you decide that you're going to solve your problems by taking control... The, the, taking control of, you'll end up spiraling not just away from God, but down into death. That's what futility is. Listen to how he describes it. He says, don't be like the Gentiles who are like this. He says, because they have become what? Callous. When you turn away from the Lord and you let the sins of others Orient yourself into independence. One of the first things you do over time is you stop responding and hearing the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Your heart becomes resistant and callous. Your conscience becomes harder and, and less, less sensitive to right and wrong. That's our culture. But that's what happens to any of us. We become less responsive. And then it says, not only do we become less responsive, but then you start to allow into your life sins that you never imagined you would let into your life. There's no pause in the pursuit of pleasure. He says, and they've given themselves to sensuality. They've given themselves. They're offering themselves. The word sensuality here talks about, really typically, usually talks about sexual immorality. That you begin to drift into sins that you want to satisfy you instead of God. You're going down quicker. You're going away farther. You're getting in deeper. And then he says, and they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Meaning that there's no sin left that they're not interested or open to being explored. Isn't that our culture? Dead, unresponsive, open to sin, pursuing pleasure, trying to do it in their own way. Proverbs chapter 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's death, it's destruction. The first thing that Paul says to us is you are to no longer walk in the way of the Gentiles, in the futility of their thinking. It takes them to destruction. That's, that's the first part of it. The second uh, statement is that step two in being responsive and allowing the Lord to use the struggles and weaknesses and sins of others to make you grow and know him better is that you need to remember and reinforce what Christ has taught you already. Listen to what he says in verse 20 and 21. But that's not the way you what? Learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That's not the way you learn Christ. He's, he's asking you to hearken back to, and, and it's interesting that in, in the Greek it doesn't say this isn't how you learned about Christ. It actually says, this isn't the way you learned Jesus. 
He's actually saying that the experience of your life is not simply you learned a fact about Jesus, but you actually experienced Jesus. Christ, by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, came and got you. And, and it wasn't you taking control. It wasn't you saying, I'm going to be the solution and the answer to all my problems. When, when you came to God, it was a miracle. You woke up and said, I surrender all. <laughs> you took your hand off the steering wheel and said, Jesus, take the wheel. Isn't that how you learned your need of Jesus? We were talking about this in our small group the other night. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? If you truly came to Christ, you didn't come to Christ going, I figured it out. You said, God, help me. You didn't come to Christ and say, I can handle this. You were a wonder of wonders, amazed at all the things that we sang, for by grace and grace alone, every moment of your life is grace. And you're not going to turn it to works. You're not going to turn it to your own strength. You're not going to turn it to your own efforts and your own energy. Unity and maturity happen when we recognize that every difficult situation is an opportunity to learn Jesus, to remember Jesus and what he did, and to reinforce who we now are in him. So when we're struggling and someone else isn't who we think they ought to be as a believer, aren't acting the way we ought to be, we ought to stop and go, Aren't you glad Jesus didn't treat me when I was a bonehead? Aren't you glad that Jesus isn't treating me right now as a bonehead the way my sins deserve? You know, Paul will say in Romans, uh, sorry, in Ephesians, the next chapter, go to the very last verse of chapter four. In the last verse of chapter four, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Your weaknesses are opportunities for me to encounter my weaknesses so that you and I together can thank God he sent a savior. To rehearse the gospel over and over again. Remind each other, if Christ isn't gracious to us, we have no hope. To rehearse it and remind it and rededicate ourselves, double down on it. To reinforce the gospel. My friends, this project, this thing, this church, is saved by grace and grace alone. Only by grace. We need Jesus. And that's where those rubbing shoulders and growing up and the pace at which other people change are all opportunities for us to fall on our face and thank God for the forgiving grace of Jesus. Can you do that today? Because if it isn't by grace and grace alone, this project's over. We could never do it. This is where you learn Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse eight. God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. sinners. Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we discover that it's a challenge to love and forgive one another, we are given the precious opportunity to glory in Christ and the cross. And remember how powerful it was when he loved and forgave us when we were sinners and how he loves and forgives us now. Isn't that good news? 
It's a constant reality for us. Here's the last thing that Paul teaches. So not only do we have to turn away from our old responses to sin, and not only do we have to recognize the gospel and repeat it and reinforce it in our lives, but we need to replace the old with the new. We need to replace. Listen to what he says. Put off the old, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in your spirit of, the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the process of sanctification has these elements. We were talking in the office, Gabe was talking about Karate Kid, saying in karate you have put off and put on, put off and put on, right? Wax on, wax off, sorry. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Wax on, wax off. Well, in our spiritual lives, there's a put off, the old, renew your mind. There's a middle step, and then put on the new. That's what we're called to here. So this is the little model that I want to say is a spiritual discipline for the Christian life the rest of your lives. You'll always have to be doing this in community. This is how we grow. This is how we glorify Jesus. Number one, you have to reject. That's what he says. Reject the old self. Learning Christ is learning to put off your old self, which belongs to you. He says your former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires. Remember the Garden of Eden? It was a deceitful desire that destroyed them. A desire given to you. And we have to put away those deceitful desires. You will every day have deceitful desires. Telling that if you follow them and you trust in them, your life will be better. And you have to say no to that. And I I would say anytime you're in a situation where you're struggling, you're tempted to sin, you stand there and say, you've got these three stages. Stage number one is I've got to stop listening to the old me. And the temptations that are coming in, that's a, that's a spiritual discipline you do on a regular basis. There's a rejecting of that. No, get thee behind me, Kevin. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me, temptation. Get thee behind me, sin. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. And then it says, renew your mind that you are to think differently. Renewing, learning Christ means to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when you're battling sanctification and your relationships, part of it is saying, okay, I'm not going to listen to the old me. I'm not going to do it in my strength. But secondly, I've got to think thoughts after Jesus. I've got to hear the word of God. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Amen. There's this process of bringing the word of God and meditating on the word of God and asking God to search you with the word of God. That's a, that doesn't happen in an instant. You, you can have, by the grace of God, a quick revelation but you're stopping and thinking, can you change the way I think so that I think the way you think, that I consider what you consider? That's what it means to learning, to learn Christ. Learning Christ is repenting of relying on your own wisdom and following your own will desires and leaning on your own strength, and it's looking to God. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have restored, I stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I have an old secular pop song on my playlist. A band called Sister Hazel. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Sister Hazel, but the song's called Change Your Mind. So I click it in every once in a while. If you want to be somebody else, if you're tired of fighting battles with yourself, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind. There you go. That's my rendition of it. There you go. <laughs> but I, I play that because I want to be somebody else other than who I am. And I'm tired of doing battles with myself. And the only way I can change my mind is to let him change my mind. Bring it under the word of God and let him work on my mind. That's stage two. You've got to reject the old. You've got to renew your mind. And then, then you have to be replacing it with something new. Learning Christ means to put on your new self. Good news, you are somebody new. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, but you still got to put it on. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You move from knowing God's holiness and righteousness conceptually to sharing in it progressively and actively. Not by your works, but by Christ's work in you. And so... Knowing Jesus, learning Jesus, is not me simply learning about Jesus. It's about me experiencing the power of Jesus in my life, conforming me to the likeness of him. That's what it is. There's a world of difference in talking about Jesus and experiencing Jesus. world of difference between saying the right things and seeking the right things. And friends, as a church, all of us have to do this. All of us. That's why we're in the family. Because we give each other lots of opportunities to do it. But praise God. Jesus said these words in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. And you'll bear much fruit. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Got it? He's, he's setting the terms. I'm the vine. Life doesn't come from you. Life comes from me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown like, away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this is my, my Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit and, and, and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus isn't saying earn my love. He's saying abide in my love. He isn't saying get there. He says I've got you there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. There's a world of difference between taking the controls and saying, I'm going to solve this problem and yielding control and say, have thine own way, Lord. Work in me. 
This is what we need as a spiritual discipline of our lives, regularly, in all our relationships. Can I ask you the question this morning? So we're doing this. Where, where does it work out for you? Where's that sphere where God's giving you the opportunity to put away the old man, to be renewed in your mind, and to put on the new, to live out that new reality? I guarantee there's not a person in this room who doesn't have someone right now where God has placed them. Usually it's multiple people, and just to let you know, you are somebody else's, right? I am somebody else's. But God has saved us so that he might mature us in Christ, to grow us up into love, into him who is the head. You want to become like Jesus? Pastor, what do I say to someone who asks the question, why does a Christian have to go to church? Because you'll never know Jesus the way you ought to know Jesus as an island. You'll never grow in Jesus the way you need to grow in Jesus by going solo. And you will never show miraculous grace and the power of God in Jesus unless you are part of the body of Jesus Christ. God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God and Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us. Grace upon grace, all by grace. That we could learn Jesus and see Jesus. We can't do this without Jesus. And it is absolutely our heart's desire that we would decrease and Christ would increase. And we want that in our personal lives. We want it in our church family. We want the world to see that there is a a ruling and reigning and gracious Savior, a King, who has rescued us from the downward spiral of destruction and death. So help us, O God, we pray. We commit ourselves to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.